Hey, what's up, nerds? Jake Steele here. Thank you so much for joining me once again this week. We've got a little bit of ground to cover in this episode, but uh, first things first. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you're following. Uh, Same thing with the website, which is ironandsteel.com. If you're new here, this is kind of the nickel tour on how this whole thing goes down. Every Tuesday morning, I publish a fresh article on the website. I then take that uh, article, read it aloud, and release the audio as a podcast. That's where you are right now. It's just that simple. Uh, At the end of every podcast episode, most often anyway, uh, we do a little Q&A. People submit questions, comments, topics. That's a lot of fun too. And most importantly, in most cases, I'm sharing stories that are sent in by you guys. So on that note, if you guys have stories of your own, send them through jake at ironandsteel.com. Just has to be old car related in some way and significant to you. That's it. Uh, send them through. I will share every single story that I receive, uh, both as an article and on this podcast. We have a absolutely tremendous base. Uh, I don't know how many, I haven't looked in a long time, but... I don't know how many people visit the website every month, but it's thousands and thousands. Um, We have tens of thousands of downloads on this podcast. People are tuning in every week and uh, seemingly really enjoying this content. And most of that content is submitted by you guys. So yeah, like I said, on that note, don't be shy. Send them through jake at ironandsteel.com. And uh, like I said before, I will share every single story that I receive here on this podcast and on the website. So if you guys are looking for a platform to tell a story of your own, um, this is it. And it doesn't have to be earth shattering. You don't have to be, you know, the world's best writer. I can't tell you how many times a week I get messages, emails or messages through Uh, social media that says, hey, I'm like teetering on the edge of sending you a story, but I'm self-conscious about my writing skills or, you know, usually it's like, hey, I think I have a story, but I don't know if it's any good. And it's like, you're overthinking it. Just send it through every single story that I've received, literally. And there's dozens and dozens of stories on the website and podcast episodes that have come from you guys, every single one of them has been fucking awesome. They're all killer in their own way. You don't have to be like an absolute killer writer. In most cases, that's what keeps it interesting and fun. So yeah, don't be shy. Don't be weird about it. Just send it through. If you're a shitty writer, it doesn't matter. So send them through jake at ironandsteel.com. And on that subject, uh, I've got two great stories to share with you this week. Um, One is from a gentleman named Graham. And then another from Brian. uh, It's actually Brian uh, Nunez, who's, I think, submitted two other stories that I've shared as podcast episodes. I don't remember how how far back. You'll have to scroll through and see. But uh, Brian has submitted a couple. And uh, Graham, this is his first one. So, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Uh, the first one I'm going to share with you is Graham's. It's called Hot Rod Crazy. And then the second one is uh, Brian Nunez's story. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, almost like a bullet point list of just some good tips for building hot rods yourself in your garage. So uh, Brian recently has completed a 32 Ford Roadster. 
uh, some of that story I've shared here on this podcast in previous episodes and on the website. So go back and check those out. So along the way, Brian has picked up a whole bunch of tips and uh, advice, I guess, that he wanted to share with you guys. So we'll do that. And then uh, at the end of all of that good stuff, we will do some Q&A. And it'll be so much fun, you'll be whistling zippity-doo-dah out your assholes. All right, let's do it. All right, nerds, here we go. Per usual, just reading this straight off my website, scrolling through, uh, reading it aloud as we go. So if I fumble over a word here or there, just please don't take this too seriously. We're just having fun here. Cut me a little slack. Uh, this is Graham's story. It is called Hot Rod Crazy. It goes like this. Having a hot rod crazy life without a hot rod of my own. Hi. My name's Graham. I'm 21 years old. I live on Long Island, New York, and I am crazy about hot rods. Hence, my Instagram name is hot rod underscore crazy. However, I currently do not own a hot rod, but that doesn't bother me because in every other way, my life is surrounded by hot rods and automotive history. In 2021, I graduated from Pennsylvania College of Technology with an associate's degree in vintage automotive restoration. I'm currently pursuing a BA in philosophy and related media from FIT's School of Art and Design. My college education has involved everything from learning restoration techniques while working on a 1929 Duesenberg to improving my photography skills as I challenge myself to go above and beyond photographing hot rods and junkyards. Both of these stories deserve to be told and I plan to do just that on the Iron and Steel website and podcast very soon. So sign up for Jake's email blast and subscribe to the Iron and Steel podcast so you don't miss anything. Thank you very much for that little plug. That is good advice. Um, my dream job. So my job never feels like quote work because I truly love what I do. I can't believe how lucky I am to be archiving such a unique and treasured collection of automobile history. I've known my boss Howard since I was eight years old. When I first met him at a car show, he gave me a ride in his historic 1909 Alco Black Beast race car. I've been interested in cars since the day I was born, but the day Howard gave me a ride in the Black Beast set my path in life. I knew my life's career would always involve historic cars. So today, I organize auto history within our archives room, including a vast collection of historic automotive photography, literature, and artwork. My boss also owns a curated collection of truly historic cars, including a 1948 Tucker and a 1963 Ford Mustang Shorty prototype. 
And again, I will write an article or two for Iron and Steel about my job eventually. For now, if you want to learn more, check out the VCR website. And I link that on the uh, in the article on my website. It is the VanderbiltCupRaces.com site. And uh, I would recommend that you go there and check that out. Click the link. The site really kind of paints a picture of what it's all about. And it it's pretty fantastic, not going to lie. So go there and check that out for yourself. Uh, he goes on to say... Uh, the main story, Plastic Model Kids. This is interesting. Uh, I started my deep dive into building plastic model car kits during the pandemic. I used to customize Hot Wheels, Hot Wheel scaled cars, but I changed to model kits since my options for what I can build are greater than they were with small scale cars. Here are some examples of why I no longer build Hot Wheel Customs. First, there was little variety of years of hot rods available, and there were zero accurate looking castings of a 34 Ford three window coupe, which is my favorite year for a hot rod. And second, the lack of fine details like spark plug wires and gauge cluster details were nearly non-existent because of how small Hot Wheel toy cars are in size. Since starting my new hobby of plastic model car kits, I've built at least 12 124th slash 125th scaled hot rods. And I have more than enough model kits to build 50 more. However, I will harvest parts to build a more accurate model. For example, I took the drop axle from a Revel, or Revel, I should say, 32 Ford kit and the hopped up Mercury flathead engine from another kit. All of these parts are going on to my AMT release of the 1929 Ford Model A Roadster that I'm currently working on. Imagine going to the LA Roadster show like I was lucky enough to do this past summer. The parts that I have collected for my scale models are much like the Roadster Show's massive hot rod swap meet. But instead of walking around for hours in the hot SoCal sun, all of the parts I need are in my basement. In fact, I regularly buy more 3D printed parts to keep my scaled custom and speed parts on hand, so I don't have to wait for that special part to arrive when I need it the most. I also completed my scale build of the Moon Eyes Dragster in model kit form after seeing the real thing in person while on vacation in California. It takes me about three to five months to build each model. I take my time and I love doing the bodywork. No, seriously, I enjoy it. I find bodywork therapeutic since I have no deadline for my builds. Additionally, I get to use the same skills that I learned at Penn College, but instead of a hammer and dolly to repair the dent, repair the dented metal of a 32 Buick four-door, I'm doing the same thing, but with styrene plastic. Truth be told, there is no hammer and dollying in model car kits. <laughs> They'd have to be a pretty small hammer. Uh, instead, if a plastic part is warped, I use warm water 
and slowly bend the part back into shape. Then for the low spots, I sparingly use model car filler to get the surface of my model arrow straight. That's interesting. I didn't know there was that much involved with that. I guess it makes sense. For primer and paint, 95% of the time I use rattle cans. And 5% of the time I use my airbrush. It's all the same techniques as painting a real car, but it's also a lot less stressful. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed painting car parts at the restoration shop I worked at before, before I started my current job. But there's nothing like a stress-free environment when it is just myself and the art of laying down a smooth base coat on a 1934 chop top three window coupe Ford scale model kit. Recently, I took home a third place ribbon in the custom class at a scale model car hosted by the long, I should say, uh, scale model car show, hosted by the Long Island Scale Model Society with my 1932 Ford 5-window coupe. It was my first time attending and competing, and I was up against builders who had been doing this since before I was born. I was not expecting to take home a ribbon, but I knew I would buy model kits from the swap meet and I did. I made some lifelong friends at the model show and when my name got called for third place, I was shocked, but my new friends were not shocked at all. I really enjoy building model kits and I see no reason to stop anytime soon. I get to build the hot rods and various old cars I've always dreamed of having right there in my garage. And I'm sure one day I will have the real deal, but for now, having built the having the built model kit of the cars, and now I'm screwing this all up. But for now, having built the model kit of the cars I yearn for sitting inside the display cases Oh, I see. Guys, I'm really sorry I screwed this all up, but we're 10 minutes into this, so I'm not restarting. <laughs> and I'm sure one day I will have the real deal. But for now, having the built model kit of the cars I yearn for sitting inside the display cases in my living room satisfies me. So go to your local hobby shop, get yourself a hot rod model kit and some model glue, spend two hours a night on your model build, and most importantly, have fun. That's cool. So if you go to the website, uh, Hot Rod Crazy is again, the name of that article. And uh, I included uh, just over a dozen photos that Graham sent through, uh, some of which are some of the models that he's talking about in this article. And uh, it's uncanny how detailed and accurate these cars are so go there check it out for yourself uh, ironandsteel.com hot rod crazy is the name of that article again thank you so much Graham for sending that through and uh, let's get to the next story all right so I really hope I don't screw this up because now we're just going, going full bore here one take baby uh, let's get to Brian Nunez's story here 
let me get to it. So this is also on the website. I just titled it Sacrifice, a note from Brian Nunez. Goes like this. Again, Brian has submitted a whole bunch of stories in the past, uh, two or three at the very least. Uh, he sent this through with a note. It says, hey, Jake, uh, I've been wanting to punch this out for a while now, but uh, I could never really envision the layout slash storyline. So I just went for it. Let me know what you think. Uh, thanks again for giving us a platform to share our stories and come together in a modern way. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, this is kind of laid out in bullet points here. Different than the traditional story, but uh, a bunch of good points. Let's just uh, jump right into what Brian has to say. Uh, how to build an old car. And again, Brian's just put a car together himself, so these are kind of some things that he's learned along the way. Here's what he has to say about it. Uh, how to build an old car. All it takes is time, money, and space. It's just that simple. However, the catch is most of us only have two of the three items. Let me explain. If you're young, let's say you're around 20 years old, you likely have the time and maybe the space, but you probably have no money. If you are middle-aged, let's say around 40 years old. Wow, 40 is middle-aged. If you are middle-aged, let's say around 40 years old, you likely have the money and space, but you have no time. And if you're older, let's say around 60 years old, you likely have the money and the time, but you may not have the space. This is where sacrifice comes into play. The key to building a car is that you must sacrifice to gain the missing item. Uh, he goes on to say, if you are young and lack money, you must sacrifice doing what most of your buddies are doing to gain the missing funds. Most of the time that's buying beer and partying. So are you ready to get up early and find some way to make extra cash? If you are middle-aged and lack time, you likely must sacrifice sleep after the kids go to bed or before they wake up to work on your car. If you are older, it might be sacrificing some of the junk in the garage and or getting the boxes that have been piling up on top of your failed project. Um, start building shelves to take up that wall space and make some room. Now, in all situations, certain variables mean sacrificing a little more or a little less in some areas. My point is, that before you commit, you must have that honest conversation with not only yourself, but those it will affect. I thought this was, this was kind of interesting. Now that we have covered sacrifice, let's cover some reality check items. Uh, because we all get this new project high, where it all seems to be so simple and easy. Uh, number one, budget. Whatever you think it's going to cost, double it. If that number shocks you, keep saving. It's easy to budget to big items, but those $20 trips to the auto parts store add up. 
<clears throat> those $7 sanding discs. You're going to need a few. The case of beer that you incentivized your buddies with. All of that stuff comes from your wallet. Speaking of buddies, number two, help and discounts. Now, we all have a friend who knows how to weld, a friend who builds engines, maybe a buddy's dad who used to, yeah, you get it. But the truth is, if you plan on completing your car with other people's free help, aka labor, you are in for a rude awakening. Number three, think small accomplishments, not big picture. It's only natural that we all have this grand vision for our build. What motor, what paint color, wheels, etc. Just know that your grand vision can also be the reason that your project, the reason that your project fails. See, the truth is, you need to plan for the small accomplishments that will get you energized to continue with the build. My suggestions would be to focus on brakes, suspension, steering, then powertrain. In between those tasks, you can fill them with small tasks like wheels and tires, interior cleaning, part polishing, drive shaft, maintenance, etc. Number four, significant others. I thought this was the part that I found the most interesting. Significant others. Although you will be doing all of the above, your significant other also needs to be in the loop. It's your responsibility to give them the confidence that the sacrifices that you are making, and more importantly, that they are making, are all going to be worth it. After considering the reality check items above, now you are ready to build a timeline. Once you do, double it. And then ask yourself what major life changes can or will happen during that time. Are you planning to move, get married, or get a new job? All those things are not only going to kill your project, but your bank account as well. Lastly, let me cover some quick tips for you. Number one, if you need to borrow a tool a second time, just go buy it instead. Number two, uh, we all know people that have started projects and never finished them. <laughs> I feel attacked. Uh, the only advice you should be taking from them is what not to do. Number three, take pictures, not just for documentation, but for future instructions. You may think you'll remember, but sometimes you won't. That's good advice. I take photos of just about everything just for that reason. Uh, number four, label or organize, label slash organize everything. The time you spend organizing will pay itself back double instead of trying to find the bolts and not digging through buckets. Uh, just have everything or that's really good advice. I'm kind of bad at that. But, uh, the last and final major tip that I have is to clean up your mess every single night. I'm also bad at that. Trust me, most car guys are procrastinators and they are not organized. 
The single thing that kills all projects is your own mess that leaves you unmotivated to go into the garage in the first place. That workbench filled with, old, with tools, with trash, scattered with bolts, the boxes, tools, and extension cords you have to hopscotch over to get to the other side of the car. Yeah. Something that simple will keep your project from ever being done. I do not disagree with that whatsoever. So, how you feel now after listening or reading this is going to be an indicator as to how you should proceed. Building a car is just as much mental and emotional as it is physical. Completing a project car can be one of the most rewarding things you can do. It is truly a balance between, quote, if it were easy, everyone would do it, and... People less capable than you have done it. So, there you have it. Get to work. <laughs> I thought that was all really good advice. Thank you, Brian, for sending that through. All right, guys, there you have it. Two stories. Again, one from Brian, one from Graham. Thank you guys so much once again for sending those through. Um, on that subject, one more time, you guys, if you have stories of your own, get them over to me, jake at ironandsteel.com. Steel has an E at the end of it because that is my last name. If you're a little slow, that's the pun. All right. Uh, in all seriousness, send them through. I'll, like I've said a million times, I will tell every story that I receive and it is a lot of fun. So keep them coming. Uh, let's do a quick little Q and a underline the word quick. I've got quite a bit to do today and it's currently 105. So I'm going to get this wrapped up. I need to start packing up and loading cars for the, uh, drag race event, which is this coming weekend, it's Monday afternoon at the time that I'm recording this. I've got to be up at the track Wednesday to kind of help get things set up. So uh, quite a bit to do. I think I'm going to take two cars up there. And uh, yeah, so for that reason, we're just going to pick a few kind of quick questions for this week. We'll save the rest for next week. And so we'll do this and we'll say our goodbyes. Okay. Uh, the first question... Any funny stories centered around your buying or selling experiences? Uh, I've been asked this question before in different ways. I've got a lot of different stories. I've dealt with a lot of people over the years, buying stuff, selling stuff. So I do have some funny stories. I have a lot of frustrating stories. I've met a lot of great people. I've met a lot of just straight up fucking bozos. So yeah, I've just a whole slew of different stuff. I, I just need to sit down and write it down, but yeah, all sorts of crazy shit. I've sold the same car three or four times. Um, I've had guys do just the goofiest shit or try to. Uh, I've had people say and do things that you just, you wouldn't even believe, but uh, yeah, that would be, that's a pretty good excuse to use that as a reminder to sit down and write some of those stories because some of them are, albeit frustrating, but uh, funny at the same time. So I'll try to sit down and write down 
you know, half a dozen or so of those stories. I've got a whole shitload of weird, uh, funny, strange stories about buying and selling. Uh, do you think a Model A really needs to be upgraded to hydraulic brakes if it's just a banger? Uh, no, not really. I mean, here's the deal. Properly adjusted mechanical brakes on a Model A work just fine. Uh, if they're not adjusted and kept adjusted uh, just right, then they're pretty disappointing and borderline dangerous. Uh, there's no feeling quite like stepping into the brake pedal and you have a, a firm, hard pedal, but you're just not stopping. So that's always a, that's always a fun one, and that's what Model A brakes feel like when they're not adjusted upright. Um, hydraulic brakes are great. It takes a little bit of work to get them on a Model A, not anything earth-shattering, but uh, yeah. Mechanical brakes, if you keep them adjusted on a Model A, work just fine. You run into some issues if you want to do some hot rod stuff like lower the car uh, especially in the front like if you want to give it some rake you can run into some issues uh, with those mechanical brake rods and getting them to function uh, quite right so in that regard hydraulic brakes are a pretty big upgrade uh, or pretty handy to have if you're gonna try to alter the stance of the car so you know if you're just stripping fenders off and doing like an early hot rod thing and not slamming it on the ground and you don't want to spend the money on hydraulic brakes then uh, yeah there's nothing really wrong with mechanical brakes um do you have an english degree or creative writing degree i do not uh strange question no i don't i i could not wait to be done with school in fact, uh, when I was a junior in high school, I was so anxious to be done with high school that uh, I actually started, my parents, if it were up to me, like, I'm a fucking idiot. If it were up to me, I just would have dropped out, right? <clears throat> uh, my parents were, were not gonna allow that. Uh, so my junior year, I started taking essentially college courses at night to gain high school credits so that I could graduate. So anyway, basically I started going to like the community college to take classes to get credits to graduate early. So junior year, uh, I graduated high school and then uh, went and got a job, never looked back, never even thought about school after that. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of school in general. Not good at like, sitting quietly and taking directions from <laughs> or direction from people so uh no i don't know where that question came from but i do not have an english degree or any sort of writing degree so. uh this was interesting it's the first time i've heard this i know what this person's talking about uh it says hey bud this was just a comment that came through it says i don't know if this is anything you have control over i'm tech stupid but I listen to your podcast on Spotify while I mow lawns and even with my fancy headphones. Uh, sometimes it seems the volume is much lower than some other podcasts that I listen to. Yes. Here's the deal with uh, podcasts. M 
most all of the podcasts that you listen to, uh, these are people that take it very seriously. They're using professional equipment, uh, expensive microphones and editing software. Uh, you know, they edit it pretty heavily. They take the audio and compress it and make sure all the levels are equal and sound just right and are robust and perfected. Uh, this is not that. <laughs> uh, this is me sitting in my living room, essentially, with a tiny little microphone plugged into my phone and uh, recording this on a whim when I have time. And uh, no. So, yeah, the reason for that is there is zero production that goes into this podcast uh, whatsoever. It is a labor of love, if you can call it that. <laughs> so uh, the whole business of iron and steel as a whole uh, does not produce any money. This is a pet project of mine uh, that I do because I most of the time find it to be fun. And it seems like people really enjoy the content. So those are the only reasons I do it. Uh, it makes zero money. Uh, it costs me money, in fact, hundreds of dollars, sometimes more a month, uh, just to kind of do the bare minimum. So the point is, if there comes a time where it's appropriate and feasible to somehow monetize this podcast in some way to where it makes even a dime, uh, if money starts coming in somehow through that process or through this process, uh, I will absolutely buy some professional equipment and do, you know, a more uh, thorough and robust version of this podcast. But for now, it just kind of is what it is. Uh, it takes a lot of work to produce a weekly podcast, even a bare bones one like this, just to just to gather the content and edit it, post it, record it, edit that, uh, and then make it all cohesive and even a little bit palatable. Uh, it takes a lot of work. That's why most people don't do it. So for now, you're just going to have to crank the volume up. Uh, you know, if it doesn't sound as good as the, you know, serial killer podcast that you're listening to or the, you know, whatever it is that you're listening, these professional podcasts, guys that take it real serious and make money off of it uh, and, and try to do it full bore. Uh, if it doesn't sound as good as those, there's a reason. But uh, for now, it's just going to be what it is. Uh, if I start swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck off this podcast, I will happily buy. I will happily buy a uh, an expensive microphone and some editing software and uh, go from there. Two. All right. Uh, let's do. Let's just do one more. Uh, this isn't Hot Rod related. I get Zodiac questions quite a bit. You guys must really kind of tune in on that when I do mention it every so often. But uh, it says, I've had this question a lot because people can't believe it. But uh, not full disclosure, this is not Hot Rod related. So uh, if you don't want to stick around, then uh, just uh, peace. <laughs> I get this question a lot. It says, uh, can you elaborate on the Zodiac Killer wasn't real thing? I don't get that. Yeah, the Zodiac Killer wasn't real thing is a, uh, it's not even a theory, it's a reality that I sometimes mention. <laughs> uh, 
so a little background, true crime, anything mysterious, anything unexplained, uh, everything from UFOs to serial killer stuff to uh, uh, cryptids, you know, just weird shit, lore, uh, you know, small town monsters, folklore stuff. I, I'm into all that weird shit. So I dove pretty deep on the Zodiac Killer story a few years ago. Uh, I have all of the, through the Freedom of Information Act, I was able to get all of the, which are readily available now, but at the time it was a little bit of work. But long story short, I have all of the case files. FBI as long as far as or uh, as well as the uh, all of the local jurisdictions all of these supposed uh, serial killer crimes that happened in different jurisdictions I have all of the police files from that and so long story short through the process of sifting through all that stuff it became pretty clear uh, that there was no Zodiac killer that these were actually unrelated crimes that uh, were only essentially only tied together because of the alleged uh, letters that the Zodiac sent in to police and to newspapers and stuff. Long story short, the the letters were a fraud. Uh, they were fake. There's no such thing as the Zodiac killer. Um, long story short, everything that everybody knows about the Zodiac killer came from one source. And it was a book released in the 80s by a guy named Robert Graysmith uh, that wrote the story of the Zodiac Killer. And he had sort of unprecedented, he really did, uh, access to the original police files at the time, which were not available to the public. So through the process of writing his book, he was using the uh, police files uh, to write the book. The only problem is uh, and the reason he had access to all that stuff is another story, but he did have access to all the files from all jurisdictions. He used those to write a book called um, Zodiac. I think it's just called Zodiac. I don't remember. It's a it's the one book that everybody has sort of gotten all their information from. Every film, every documentary, all of that came from Robert Grace Robert Graysmith's book, which came out in like '86 or '87. Uh, the only problem is he had all the information from the police files, but he lied about almost everything when it comes to what the actual content of those files were. So uh, for a bunch of different reasons, and it's a way deeper rabbit hole than we have time to get into today. But uh, yeah, long story short, uh, Zodiac Killer is a myth. If you look at the actual police files, you will see that they are completely unrelated cases. Each case had a very good suspect. Uh, many of the police jurisdictions consider their own cases solved. Uh, and yeah, there was no Zodiac Killer. A lot of the information, uh, not to get too far off, but it's a hot rod podcast, but uh, a lot of that information you can find uh, through a guy named Thomas Henry Horan. If you just Google him, uh, he's done an even more extensive deep dive into the Zodiac and he covers everything uh, in a series of podcasts and uh, YouTube videos and books that he's written. And it's just 
there's no question. There's no such thing as a Zodiac killer. So uh, probably a really long rambling and unclear answer to your very specific question. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no Zodiac killer. Google Thomas Henry Horan. He's done uh, way more than I have, and he's made everything that he's done public, and it all makes perfect sense. So go check that out. All right, that's enough serial killer stuff. That's enough stuff for this podcast episode in general. So thanks for listening. Uh, Again, Graham, thank you. Brian, thank you. One more time, you guys. Jake at ironandsteel.com. Send in your hot rod or old car-related stories. And uh, let's get them told. All right. I hope you guys have a great week. I'm going to go drag racing. If you're planning on attending our car club's uh, drag race event this weekend, please come say hello. Uh, I will be there peddling t-shirts for not just Iron and Steel, but for the event itself. Uh, The event shirts are absolutely fucking killer. I'll post a couple of pictures on Instagram here shortly. But uh, yeah, come see me. Probably my wife will be running the t-shirt booth. She's a lot nicer than I am. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'll be most likely, I think I'm going to drag some crap up there to throw in the swap meet. So if I'm not at the t-shirt deal, uh, if I'm not at the track or in line waiting to run or whatever, if I'm not there, I'll probably be over in the swap meet area. But uh, yeah, come say hello. Uh, Come up to the event, check it out. It is a ton of fun. Two to Washington, August 18th through the 20th, which is uh, at the time that I'm recording this, this coming weekend. Family friendly, bring your friends, bring your kids. You can camp. It's a drag race, a car show, a swap meet. Uh, You cannot beat this entertainment for the price. So message me if you need some further information or uh, most of it's on my social media. So yeah, let's have some fun. All right. Keep your stories coming in. Thank you guys again for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you all again in exactly seven days. Peace.